I love the video, huh? 83 kids have access to water. You're doing something important. I mean, you're doing something important. Now, now listen, if you were not here for that, that 15-minute opening before the service, kind of a banter time, then you're not going to understand this. But if you, you, if you, if you were here, you'll, you'll know what I mean. Get well soon. I, I, I've been known to borrow good jokes and use them other places. That one's safe. Okay, recap, let's go. Let's talk a little bit about where we've been so we're kind of up to speed. We're in a series here dealing with the invisible war, spiritual warfare, and you are involved in the story. Whether you're a follower of Christ or you're ignoring Christ, you're still involved. Like it or not, you're involved. Believe it or not, you're involved. Satan, and for the, for the follower, Satan is in constant slander against the church. Satan is not confined to hell. He is, in fact, roaming the earth. As followers of Christ, we end up on the front line. We're soldiers because we're in the war. We're not civilians. And when you came to Christ, you literally enlisted on that day. You're under the supreme commander. Rebellion against God is the issue, and he will root it out. The rebellion did not begin on earth. It began in heaven and eternity past. Eternity past is before the earth was created. Eternity future is after the earth is done. We'll talk about those a little bit today. It was brought on by Lucifer, who's called the Satan. He's an archangel, and he controls one-third of the angels who fell with him. Satan is not this ugly, terrible beast, but in fact, he's the most beautiful thing God created. And that was the issue. It created pride, and remember, he said, I will ascend, and I will, and I will. He starves for glory. That's the meaning of the war. We're here to give God glory. Now, let, let's move on to today. Let's begin to build on all of this. And I, I, I realize this is kind of deep, but grasp this. In this war, we cannot understand what's going on in our world today until we understand what happened before our creation, before the creation of the world. We understand that stuff. It helps us understand our world today. I think you're saying, you know, when you make those statements, crying out loud, Gene, it's kind of beyond my grasp. It's a little bit beyond my imagination. Don't worry about it. I mean it. It's okay. Consider this. The greatest theologian of all time said, I can't understand this stuff. So how can we? Who's the greatest theologian of all time? Apostle Paul. You ever notice what he wrote to the church at Rome? Romans 11, 33 to 34, let me read it to you. Yes, God's riches are great and his wisdom and knowledge have no end. No one can explain all these things. That God decides no one can understand his ways. So, so don't be overwhelmed here. As scripture says, he's quoting, by the way, Isaiah 40, 13. As scripture says, who has known the mind of God? So if this stuff blows your mind and you feel like, it's over my head, it's Okay. But what do we know? God's core is glory. It's the key to everything. He doesn't need us to receive glory. He is glory. We have the opportunity to live for his glory. I think we need to just make a general statement here. As we study warfare, it's not to learn new things. I want you to learn new things. But how we live out what we learn every day. Understanding this war ought to change our lives, even though it stretches our imagination to beyond us. Everything, everything is about God's glory. 
Just, just some examples. The very birth of Jesus, his beginning, Luke 2.9. You ever notice? And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. All through Jesus' life it's, on earth, it's, it's about glory. And then let's fast forward even to his death. John 12.33. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Even us as sinners, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of, boom, the glory of God. We understand sin and its power, you know. I mean, sin kind of comes in as a guest, makes itself a friend, and before you know it, it's a master. The end of the Lord's Prayer, the the finalization, wrapping it all up, for that is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Even your salvation is about glory to God. And His glory is seen as our continuing love, and obedience. You see, we don't obey Christ out of fear. He's going to punish me. We don't obey Christ out of greed. He may not bless me if I don't obey him. We obey him out of love. How simple is this? John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Our salvation is God's glory, not us. Our love, our obedience, our joy is God's glory. That, that's why I've, I've always been, frankly, between me and you and everybody watching, I've always been ticked off by fear used as a weapon to bring people to Christ. Fear-based repentance, fear-based repentance always leads to hating ourselves. Joy-based repentance comes to hating sin that damaged us in giving God's glory. So this is big picture thinking. We have to keep grasping. It's about God's glory. And, and to get the big picture, we've got to go all the way back to our start. We're going to spend a lot of time today in creation. The creation of the human race and how this played into this battle that we're fighting now. I mean, the battle we're fighting now started in eternity past. Our creation plays into this. God's confronted in eternity past by this rebellion, by this Lucifer and a third of the angels. And remember, Lucifer must be one of the most beautiful angels, archangels ever created. So how does God respond? You know, there really, as I thought about it, there could be an easy solution. Just create one more archangel, even more beautiful than Satan. There. The glory grab is over. Just build one even more beautiful than Lucifer. End of story. But what he did appears to be somewhat the exact opposite. Rather than reach up and build up, He reached down and built down. He creates a new entity, earth, universe, us. He creates a new being, Adam. In fact, the name Adam in the Hebrew is Adama, meaning earth. Adam's race is of earth. You see, theologians feel that our creation may in fact be an outgrowth of this issue that happened in eternity past. Because of that, God is using us to continually defeat Satan. And he even says, I will lift you higher than the angels. Well, that was Satan's original place, archangel. Because the creation of Adam, the human race, is is destined to take the place that Satan had. We are destined to fulfill that place. Our race is to be above the angelic community. No wonder Satan hates us so much. No wonder it's so intense. As you see the big picture, it becomes a battle royal. And the statements God makes about our creation is mind-boggling. We're made, listen carefully, we're made in the unique image of God. Step back, huh? Genesis 1, 26 and 27. 
Then God said, let us make human beings in our image and our likeness. So God created human beings in his image. In the image of God, he made them male and female. Now Genesis walks through all the creative process. The earth, the the night, the day, the animals. But the climax of this is the creation of men and women. And in this, God gives a lot of information about him. For instance, he tells us about the plurality of God. This is getting deep. God said, let us make him in our image and our likeness. I mean, you can't help but hear it. The plurality of God. God God is plural, and yet he is one. It gets a little, little tough, doesn't it? The Hebrew term for this plurality is the same one used for husband and wife. Genesis 2.24. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Oneness here is the exact same word. Now, obviously, human beings are talking about two people becoming one. But God is three in one. So, the tricky part, if he's three in one, and if we're in his image, then we have to be three in one. You're saying, no, no, Gene, you lost, you lost me. I'm, here I am, one. No, you're three in one. You are a body, a soul, and a spirit. Someday I'd like to define all three for you so you see the differences. But you are, in fact, three in one. The three in one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, if he's going to create us in his image, then we got to be three in one. And we are body, soul, and spirit. At VU, I was invited to a session with the, the, the Muslim organization, the Islamic organization on campus. And they were asking me questions. That I, it was a little bit of a, little bit of a torpedo job. And somebody said, you know, this whole three-in-one business, that can't be. And I turned to him and I said, okay, your body, soul, and spirit, which two are you going to give up? If you're only one, you've got to give up two of those. I've never been invited back. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the three-in-one in his image, we're three-in-one. No wonder Genesis 127, he created man in his own image. He didn't stop creating until we were the form of his likeness so Jesus will not stop until we're brought forth in his own likeness his own goal is that we live our life to the glory of God he even calls us his bride he joins us with us he lets us live out the mind of Christ living kingdom and kingdom is defined living my life that God receive glory because you're in a war that's why kingdom that's why Jesus makes these statements seek ye first the kingdom living the glory the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come. Living kingdom is the meaning of life. It's the de- design of men and women. We have this personal name for God. In, in this creating time, at the time he created man, he drops another bomb on us. Genesis 2.7. Then the Lord God, get that in your head right there, took dust from the ground and formed man from it. He breathed and breathed life into man's nose. And the man became a living being. Lord God. In Hebrew is actually translated Yahweh. So now we have a name, intimacy. The God title has always been just God as he's creating the animals, the sun, the moon, light, and darkness. He gets to us and he says, I am Lord God. All of a sudden he gives us a name. Now we have intimacy. The beginning of a relationship. A God name has been added, but not until he creates us. We're the ones to have this relationship. The God, the creator, has given us the avenue to God, to Adam, the creation, because we have a name. Names bring intimacy. This is a unique feature. 
This doesn't happen anywhere else until he creates us. Also that verse, dust from the ground and formed man. Formed here is an interesting Hebrew word. It's the word that a potter would use in molding clay. This depicts the vessel of clay skillfully modeled and for us the most perfect model ever built. But think about it. After he forms us, we're lifeless. I mean, we're clay until he imparts himself into it. That same verse says, he breathed into our nostrils the breath of life. Now, that breathe, these words become powerful. It's not, the Hebrew word, it's not, wouldn't be translated our word explosive, but it would be translated plosive, kind of the same thing. It's a miniature explosion. As the Lord into our nostrils, that creation exploded air into us. In fact, it's defined a sharp, authoritative explosion. When he breathed into our nostrils, it wasn't. It was a sharp, authoritative explosion. Divine breath storms into this, this creation that he made out of clay. It's a powerful breath. Think about this. Little balls of clay now become eyes. Interior organs come into being. The heart begins to, to pump and blood begins to flow through the arteries. This explosion of air, the miracle of creation. The same God, obviously, is in the miracle business. He transforms our life that we might live the glory of God. This is a battle. And as we think about this creation episode, taking the dust and, 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 and molding it, we have a very powerful episode in Jesus' life. Frankly, one of the coolest verses. Frankly, one of my favorite episodes in the entire life of Jesus. John chapter 1, verse, excuse me, John chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. I, I just give it to you. Jesus comes across this guy who's born blind. His eyes never worked. And then he tells him, wait right here. And Jesus bends down and he gets some dust, spits in it, creates clay, and he rubs it all over his eyes. At first glance, what's he doing? I mean, the wind and the waves obey Jesus. Why did he just say, hey, you're healed. Have a good day. But he's going through all this rigmarole. It's like he's getting one of these machines. Does this look better or this? Does this look better? Read the chart. I mean, he's doing all this stuff, getting, getting dirt, spitting on it, making clay, rubbing his eyes. What's he doing? Does it, does it strike you as crying out loud? Just say you're healed. Okay, here's the mind-boggling. This is why it's so, I think it's so cool. This is not a healing. He's saying, wait, this is not a healing. It's unique. It's creation. This guy's eyes never worked, blind from birth. Jesus isn't healing a disease. He's not reversing something. He's not healing something that was broken. This guy never had it. Jesus is creating. He's taking us all the way back to the Genesis episode, reminding us out of clay we were created. This is not a healing. This is a creation. As he creates eyes in this guy. And Jesus purposely takes us back to our creation. The dust of the earth made into clay and formed us. Jesus makes us into clay and forms this guy's eyes. This is not a healing in his creation. He's reminding us, I was there when all of your generations was formed out of clay. I'm the creator. That's why Adam, man, this guy's so unique. And think about this. God breathed into his nostrils. So common sense, they're face to face. 
I don't know how you could breathe in, in, in this clay, clay manufactured deal that God created. I don't know how you can breathe in the nostrils without being face to face. What a statement. A unique access to the presence of God. Fellowship with the one who breathed in us face to face. The supreme, God, the, the supreme purpose of the gospel is bring us back into fellowship where we have a loving God face to face. And, and what I personally think is pretty cool, Genesis begins our story with us face to face. Our story ends with us face to face in eternity future after the world's been destroyed. One of the last statements about me and you human beings, Revelations 22, 3, and 4. I want to read this to you. Nothing that God judged guilty will be in that city. So obviously we're in heaven, the eternal city. Nothing that's been judged guilty is allowed there. It, 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 it goes on to describe the thrones of God and Lamb will be there. God's servants will worship him. They will see him face to face. And his name will be written on their foreheads. The beginning of our story. In Genesis, we are face to face with God. I mean, he's breathing in our nostrils. The end of our story, we see him face to face. We've been reunited face to face. At this point, eternity future is, is in play. The earth is done. At this point, we've been brought back to that face-to-face relationship with God that we were created with all the way back in Genesis when he breathed in us. Face-to-face in eternity be the beginning of our time and eternity future. The archangel, Lucifer, and all of his followers have now been completely destroyed. At this point, the war that we're in right now is over. The grand purpose of God, which is temporarily frustrated by Satan, is now completely fulfilled. We are face-to-face with God. We are unique. We have this capacity for fellowship with God, designing us, breathing face to face, entering in eternity face to face, all about he received glory. As he receives glory, Satan's not robbing it, and he, we are defeating him again and again and again and again and again. That's the war. That's the purpose that God chose to defeat this enemy, us. He could have done it simply without us, just create something more beautiful. He didn't. He created us. That, that's why Psalm 8.4. You ever wonder why he messes with us so much? Psalm 8.4. What is man that you are mindful to him and the sons of man that you visit? In other words, why are you God spending so much time with us? You're God. Why are you God spending so much time solving my problems? Why are you God spending so much time blessing me? Why are you God spending so much time on us human beings? We're the center of his attention because we get to live out kingdom. He's using us to defeat the enemy, constantly defeating Satan. That's why it frustrates me when, when I see believers acting as if they're unimportant, unvaluable. That's not humility. It's unbelief. Listen carefully. You are the most important creation in the universe. You are the most important creation in the universe. Not because of ourselves, but because of what Christ has done, his redemptive work in our life, the ultimate statement of God's glory, but you are the most important thing in the universe. He went to the cross for you. And we've been created for this unique, special relationship. So how does the devil, Lucifer, deal with this? A race created in the image of God, destined for a unique level of intimacy higher than the angels. How does Satan deal with this hatred? I I saw something that I think brings it home. 
Consider an engaged woman, so excited, they've had the showers, so close to the wedding, and right before the wedding, the guy comes to her and says, I fall in love with somebody else, you're gone. She takes this picture, and she tears it in pieces, puts it on the ground, and stamps on it, and stamps on it in her hatred. She can't touch him. But she could take her hate out on his image, the photo. She can't touch him, but she could sure stamp on his image. That's pretty much how Satan reacts. He can't touch God. He attacks the image of God, me and you. He tears it up and stamps on us in hatred. What I mean by this, every time a, a drunkard staggers in the gutter and vomits on himself, this is the devil stamping on the image of God. Every time a murderer takes another life, this is the devil stamping on the image of God. Every time a woman sells herself in prostitution, turning her life into a commodity, this is the devil stamping on the image of God. Every time a thief steals something from somebody else, this is the devil stamping on the image of God. Every time a churchgoer slanders another one, this is the devil stamping on the image of God. Every time a follower does not enter the war, does not live kingdom in your time, in your finance, in your talents, in your home, in your future, this is the devil stamping on the image of God because you're the image of God. He can't touch God, but he can sure touch his image, me and you. You better know you're in a war. You're in a war, you're in a war, you're in a war. And Satan stamps on the image of God and says, there you go, God. See what your image looks like. See what your image is living like. I can't touch you, but I can sure touch your image. Remember, the word says, Satan slanders daily. Father, we're not here to learn. It's interesting to learn new things. But we're not here to learn. We want to live out what we learn and remind us that we are in a, in, a, in, a, in a war. We pray about this war. We don't want to be naive because Satan loves it if we don't know what's going on. He can use this pretty effectively. We don't know better. We now know we're in a war every single day. I need to live that you receive glory and defeat Satan every single day. And Father, there may be some that are saying, I, I never understood stakes here and I've never come to Christ I've been busy living my life as a good person God in heaven I was created for you I am valuable and I've wasted it I've walked away from you God in heaven forgive me may you receive glory in forgiving me may my salvation be about your glory I'm not coming to you in fear I'm coming to you in joy Forgive me that I might know you and I might live my days in a grand purpose. Your glory. Help me to seek first the kingdom. We pray for your presence and power in our lives as we grasp the depth of the war that every single one of us are in every single day. In your holy name. Next week, I've, I've said a little, like, it's, it's like an onion. We just keep peeling it back. Next week, we're going to get a little bit deeper into Genesis, a little bit deeper into creation and the purpose of creation of the woman. Uh-oh, going to be fun. Hey, what can you do to me now? We're going to look at what's her role and what's her destiny and how does she play into all of this? 
There was a period of time when the woman had fallen and the man hadn't. What happened? We want to continue in the Genesis story. As we understand creation, it makes a whole lot of difference in how we understand the war. We'll peel the onion back a little bit more. Today was Adam. Next week, let's talk about Eve and our destiny. May God just bless you this week as you live kingdom. And let's just come together one more time. Let's just worship him again this morning.